ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we'll carry on then from where we left off. We were in the chapter that was discussing the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The chapter that was discussing the fact that Allah is above the creation, above the seven heavens, uh, separate and distinct from his creation, as opposed to the deviated beliefs of some of them who claim that Allah is everywhere that Allah is amongst us in the creation, we explained that rather the ceiling of the creation is the throne of Allah. And then Allah is above all of that. Allah is above His magnificent throne. So that is what we were discussing. There are several other narrations to come now that will uh, move across also that mention this point of evidence regarding the throne of Allah and regarding Allah being above that throne being above the seven heavens separate and distinct from this creation so take a note of some of these other points the shawahid the first one then qala haddathana ali ibn abdillah qala haddathana abdul razzaq qala akhbarana ma'mar an hammam قال حدثنا أبو هريرة عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إن يمين الله ملأ لا يغيضها نفقه صحاء الليل والنهار أرأيتم ما أنفق منذ خلق السماوات والأرض فإنه لم ينقص ما في يمينه وعرشه على الماء وبيده الأخرى الفيض أو القبض يرفع ويخفض This narration should be familiar Why should it be familiar? Because this was the same narration that we already covered when we were discussing the attribute of the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because a portion of this narration refers to the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, why has Imam al-Bukhari mentioned this narration now in this chapter also? Because a portion of the narration also makes reference to the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is something in particular when you look at Sahih al-Bukhari, you notice that the same hadith, Maybe in several different chapters throughout Sahih al-Bukhari. The same hadith, Imam al-Bukhari may chop it as they say. He may take the bottom half of the hadith and mention it somewhere. Take the top half of the hadith and mention it somewhere else. Why? Because one section of the hadith, he's using it in a particular chapter to prove a particular point that is in that section of the hadith. He may use the other section of the hadith in another chapter because that section of the hadith is a proof for the point that he's making in that chapter. That's why you have maybe the same hadith sometimes being referenced in several places. That is what uh, basically and loosely you hear uh, the term that is the mukarrar. There are narrations that are repeated. So when they look at these books, the books of hadith it's not as simple as going from the beginning to the end and adding up all of the hadith and saying there are a thousand hadith in this book you may think how complicated could that be to add up how many hadith there are in a particular book of hadith but the numbers differ some scholars they say this hadith book has x number of hadith in it Another scholar may tell you, no, it has X number plus Y of hadith in it. How can you differ over that? Is it not just a case of going through and adding up the numbers, adding up each hadith and you come to a number? 
It is because of this issue of repetition of narrations. And often though, that will be because of the chains that are being mentioned. You could have the same hadith with a different chain of narration in one place of the book. Then that hadith again somewhere else, but with a different chain of narration. Are those to be considered as one, or are they considered as two hadith because they have two different chains of narration? So because of those types of factors, the scholars may differ over how many hadith there are. Uh, in this case, the whole hadith is mentioned anyway, or the section that was mentioned. The point being that here it's highlighting وَعَرْشُهُ عَلَى الْمَاءِ That his throne was above the water. Where was that mentioned before as well? In the hadith regarding the decree. When it was said, كَتَبَ اللَّهُ مَقَادِيرَ الْخَلَائِقِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَخْلُقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ بِخَمْسِينَ أَلْفَ سَنَةِ وَكَانَ عَرْشُهُ عَلَى الْمَاءِ That Allah wrote down the decree of everything that is to occur 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth and His throne was above the water. So here that same thing is mentioned, وَعَرْشُهُ عَلَى الْمَاءِ And that's why Shaykh Al-Athameen says that we've already discussed this hadith before but the point you need to recognize from it now is a different angle. It is the angle regarding the mentioning of the throne this time. That's what the scholars call the shahid. When you're reading the Arabic books and the explanations, the scholars may say the shahid from this particular narration is that bit there, those words there, that line there, that word there. That is the shahid of this hadith. Meaning, that is the point of evidence that we want to extract for our purposes here. This hadith now it talks about Allah giving and uh, how Allah bestows upon His creation and that doesn't run out from Him, His dominion. All these things are mentioned. But what is the point and the purpose we want to extract in our discussion right now? It is basically those three words in the hadith about the throne of Allah being above the water. That is our point for now. That's why the scholars, they call that the shahid. That is the point that you want to extract for your purposes there. Whereas when this hadith was mentioned previously, the shahid was something else. Then it was regarding the point of, the attribute of, the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the same hadith may be used ten times in ten different chapters. Each time there's a different point of extraction from it. A different point of evidence from it. So here the point being used, or the hadith is being used here, to extract the point regarding عرشه على الماء. Then after that, قال حدثنا أحمد قال حدثنا محمد ابن أبي بكر المقدمي قال حدثنا حماد بن زيد. That's a typo in the book. Where's the typo? Put your hands up if you've done Medina book one. Put your hands up. Nobody's done Medina book one. What's happened? All the ones that I taught myself. Put your hands up if you've done Medina book two. In fact, put your hands up if you've done Medina book two, lesson one. Let's be just for safety purposes, lesson three, up to lesson three. Put your hands up if you've done Medina book 2 up to lesson 3. That's all. Hands up high, 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 high. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. So how come none of you can spot the typo here? Spot the typo. If you've done Medina book 2 up to lesson 3, you should be able to spot the typo. 
زيد وه حدثنا حماد ابن زيد مضاف لي واسم الذات الالف از ميسينج وه ابن the spelling of the word ibn but it's allowed to remove the alif isn't it no should have been confident with your answer and expanded upon it the alif is missing but why explain why can't just guess there should be an alif there why they say technically in the rules of grammar if you're going to erase the alif between the name of the son and the name of the father then it should be that there is nothing interjecting in between it is Bilal ibn Khalidin for example it's not Bilal ibn Ash-Shaykh Khalid now an additional word has come in here no additional word has come in that's no problem but they do say that in order for it to be legitimate to remove the alif from the word ibn it should all be written across a single line if it goes on to a next line in typing in the typeset in the way it's written then technically that rule should not be applied so here technically the alif should be in but that's what happens with typos it's always going to have typos here and there in books you shouldn't rely on modern day books they do try and put dhamma fatha kasra these things into the books a lot more but you should not rely on the dhammas fathas kasras that they put into the books that they print these days in arabic a lot more there's many mistakes many mistakes of a dhamma in the wrong place a fatha in the wrong place a kasra in the wrong place you cannot use them to learn arabic you learn arabic from the books of grammar with the teachers who teach you then when you come across these books it will be right most of the time but then you'll be able to spot if you do see some error somewhere قال حدثنا حماد بن زيد and that indicates the reality of a person who studies a book and the one who goes over it that hasn't studied it it's not about just saying I attended all of the classes in Medina book one we did it all I went to all the classes I was taught every class from every book uh, every chapter chapter 1 to chapter 23 I did all of them book 2 I did all of it sat there every lesson with the teacher beginning to end but if you haven't memorized the grammar that was in there and you can't recognize things that you were supposed to have studied in there then you haven't really done the book you haven't really mastered the book you haven't really got a right to claim I've done book 2 you've done it you've gone through it have you studied it though have you learnt it have you picked all of the rules and the grammar and everything you're supposed to know from it that's another story a person can say I've sat there for this now Kitab al-Tawheed al-Bukhari from the beginning all the way now halfway through 370 pages somebody could say I've been here from the very beginning okay you've been here from the very beginning but do you then know those first 370 pages generally can you remember the narrations and the points of benefits can you remember the shahid from those ahadith and what it proves it's one thing sitting there and going through it it's another actually understanding it and learning it but we spoke about that last week to a degree here then qala haddathana hamad ibn zayd an thabit an anas qal جاء زيد بن حارثة يشكو فجعل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول اتق الله وأمسك عليك زوجك قال أنس قالت عائشة لو كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كاتما شيئا لكتم هذه قال فكانت زينب تفخر على أزواج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم تقول زوجكن أهاليكن وزوجني الله تعالى من فوق سبع سماوات وعن ثابت 
وتخفي في نفسك ما الله مبديه وتخشى الناس نزلت في شأن زينب وزيد بن حارثة In this narration now there's a, a story behind it There's a story regarding uh, Zayd ibn Haritha But the story isn't our intent The intent here again now for these following few narrations will be the shahid only Because we have now discussed in a few sessions the, uh, the uh, issue regarding the throne of Allah and Allah being above In these next two or three narrations we're going to take the shahid and then there's going to be a concluding discussion on the whole topic. So here, who can give us the shahid? What is the shahid? What is the point of this narration of this story about Zayd ibn Haritha coming to the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ telling him to remain with his wife, etc. All this story, what is the point of it? We're talking about the throne of Allah and Allah being above the, the creation. Where in this narration do we have anything linked to that? When Zainab, she says that your families married you off. But as for me, Allah decreed my marriage from above the seven heavens. She makes that statement there that Allah decreed that. Allah did that from above the seven heavens. That is your shahid from that narration. You see, this is the way you establish the aqidah of the Sahaba. They say to you, how can you prove the Sahaba used to believe Allah is above? Allah is everywhere. How can you prove to us that this was the aqidah of the Sahaba? We mentioned a few principles before when it comes to aqidah. One is that these points of aqidah as they are understood in the Quran are the default. If Allah says He is above, then that is the default understanding. Allah is above. And that is what therefore the Sahaba were upon. If you want to say otherwise, then you have to bring us the proof that it means something else. Like we mentioned the example of the primary meaning and the secondary meaning. I saw the lion in the wood. That means a lion, the animal. If you want it to mean I saw Muhammad the lion, then you got to qualify your statement. So now if they say to you, how can you prove that this aqidah of yours is the aqidah of the Sahaba? These types of narrations, these hadith, with those small statements embedded within them. This hadith, not talking about the issue of aqidah as such, talking about another story about the companion and his wife and various things. And you wouldn't think this is the natural type of narration to go to, to find evidences regarding the aqidah of the sahaba. Yet when you go down, this comment which is just a comment you may think in the middle of the narration, is a proof for the aqidah they were upon. She says that Allah did this from above the seven heavens. A statement she makes even though she's not talking about and she's not in the context of or in the point of talking about aqidah. It's not like she's even talking about the affairs of aqidah, clarifying issues of aqidah, they're not there sat talking about issues of aqidah. This is a completely different topic that's going on. But naturally, it comes there an embedded statement, which sometimes they call it subconsciously you say something. Here now she has made this comment, which was not even the point of what she was discussing, but it shows you exactly where their mindsets were, what their aqidah was by default. She's talking about something completely different, but mentioned, embedded in there. It highlights to you the aqidah that they were upon, that Allah has done this from above the seven heavens. So that is the point that they're making in the narration. As Shaykh al says, قَوْلُهُ مِنْ فَوْقِ سَبْعِ سَمَاوَاتِ وَذَلِكَ أَنَّ الْعَرْشِ فَوْقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ And that is because the throne of Allah is above the heavens. فَيَكُونُ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ فَوْقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ And therefore, Allah is above the seven heavens. Because we know that Allah is above the throne. Here now she says, Allah did that from above the seven heavens. The throne is above them, the ceiling of the creation. And then Allah is above that. 
وليعلم أن هناك استواء وعلوا فالاستواء سبق الكلام عليه وبينا أنه من الصفات الفعلية المتعلقة بالمشيئة أما العلو فإنه من الصفات الذاتية اللازمة له فهو دائما أزلا وأبدا فوق كل شيء The Shaykh says we already spoke about the topic of al-istiwa that Allah rose above the throne and that Allah and that that attribute is connected to the will of Allah that Allah rises above the throne whereas the issue of Allah being the most high that is an issue of the essence of Allah that Allah is always the most high Allah is always the most high من الصفات الذاتية اللازمة from the attributes that are of the essence of Allah by necessity all of the time that Allah is uh, the most high and that there is nothing above him وليس فوقه شيء just as the Prophet وسلم, said وأنت الظاهر فليس فوقك شيء that you are the most high and there is nothing above you the next narration is another variation or something added on to this narration. قال حدثنا خلاد بن يحيى قال حدثنا عيسى بن طهمان قال سمعت أنس بن مالك رضي الله عنه يقول نزلت آية الحجاب في زينب بنت جحش وأطعم عليها يومئذ خبزا ولحما وكانت تفخر على نساء النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وَكَانَتْ تَقُولُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ أَنْكَحَنِي فِي السَّمَعَ There's your point again at the end around the same story that she used to mention Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala married her off the decree of her to be married from above the heavens هَذَا كَالسَّابِقْ فِيهِ إِثْبَاتُ عُلُوِ اللَّهِ This is now just like what has preceded in affirming to us the aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah that Allah is the most high Allah is above wa ahlul sunnah wa jama'ah yuthbituna uluwahu bithatihi wa bisifatih ahlul sunnah we affirm the highness of Allah in his essence and of his attributes that he is the most high in his essence and his attributes يقولون إن العلو نوعان the highness of Allah is two types علو ذات وعلو صفة the highness of Allah in his essence and the highness of Allah of his attributes أما علو الذات فهو سبحانه وتعالى فوق عباده وأما علو الصفة فجميع صفاته عليا ليس فيها نقص بوجه من الوجوه as for Allah being the most high in his essence very simply because Allah is the most high above all of the creation above all of the seven heavens he in his essence is above and the most high as for Allah being the most high in his attributes because the attributes of Allah are at the pinnacle of perfection they are in the elevated status, the most high in the perfection and the, the pinnacle of perfection. No deficiency, no shortcoming, no ayub uh, of any type or sort, that they are perfect without any deficiency whatsoever. They are the most high in their attributes. They are the most perfect in the attributes. وَأَهْلُ التَّعْطِيلِ قَدْ أَنْكَرُوا الْأَوَّلِ As for the people of deviation, they rejected that first statement, meaning, قَالُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَيْسَ عَالِيًا بِذَاتِهِ They said Allah is not high in His essence. Allah Himself is not above and high. ثُمَّ اخْتَلَفُوا Then they differed after that into explaining their affair. فَقَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ إِنَّهُ جَلَّ وَعَلَى بِذَاتِهِ فِي كُلِّ مَكَانِ So some of them said, some of the people of innovation, 
that Allah is actually in His essence Himself everywhere. That was one of the statements of the people of innovation. That Allah Himself in His essence is everywhere, not above and the Most High. Fil Ard, Wal Sama, Wal Bar, Wal Bahr, Wal Jaw. That Allah is on the earth, in the sky, on the ground, on the sea, in the air, fil masajid wal buyut, in the mosques, in the houses. Kulli shayin huwa halun fi. Everything Allah is within it and in amongst it. Wa hadha madhhabu al jahmiya al hululiya. Alladhina yakulun inna allaha ma'ana bidhatihi. This is the aqidah of the deviants, the jahmiyyah, the hululiyyah. Hululiyyah, those who believe that Allah is integrated with us. The creation and the creator are one integrated entity. Allah is within us and we are within and the creation and the creator. All of that mixed in that way. So this is the belief of some of them that Allah is everywhere. The second group of people who rejected that Allah is above had a different explanation to their rejection. They said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى لَا يُوصَفُ بِأَنَّهُ فَوْقَ وَلَا تَحْتَ وَلَا يَمِينَ وَلَا شِمَالَ وَلَا مُتَّصِلَ وَلَا مُنْفَصِلَ وَلَا مُبَايِنَ وَلَا مُحَايِدَ MashaAllah. The second group of the deviants Remember, these are two groups of the deviants who all claimed that Allah is not the Most High and above. Then they split off into explaining what they mean. One group said what we mean is that Allah is actually everywhere. The other said what we mean is that Allah is neither above, neither below, neither to the right, neither to the left. Neither in this place, neither not in this place. Meaning they're saying absolutely nothing. He's neither this nor that. Neither there nor here. Neither nor for everything you ask them. So this was the second group of them. That Allah is neither here nor there, nor above, nor down, nor left, nor right, nor within the creation, nor separate. That Allah is not any of that. That was the second group of them. But this group of them who make that type of explanation, قِيلَ لَهُمْ It is said to them, هَذِهِ الْأَوْصَافِ أَوْصَافٌ لِلْمَعْدُومِ That this explanation of yours is an explanation of nothingness. Because when you say, if you describe something now, you ask somebody, describe to me nothingness. Describe nothingness to me. So then you can say, if I have to describe nothingness to you, it's neither above nor below, no left, nor right, nor here, nor there, not black, not white, not big, not small. You basically negate every possible characteristic from it to therefore be left with nothing. So then the scholar said to this group of people, you are basically describing nothingness. Allah is neither here nor there, nor above nor here, nor here everything, neither nor everything. So therefore you have negated everything basically. You're negating every characteristic and description Neither this nor that in everything we say. So therefore what you've got left is a description of nothingness. So they said to them, this is a description of nothingness. لَوْ قِيلَ لَنَا صِفُوا لَنَا الْمَعْدُومِ بِأَبْلَغْ مِنْ هَذِي الْأَوْصَافِ مَا وَجَدْنَا إِذَا إِلَى ذَلِكَ سَبِيلًا مَا أَنَّهَا أَوْصَافِ سَلْبِيَّةِ وَأَهْلُ التَّعْطُونَ صِفُونَ اللَّهَ بِالْأَوْصَافِ السَلْبِيَّةِ they are describing Allah with uh, negative statements. That Allah is not this, 
and Allah is not that Allah is not above so Allah no Allah is not here Allah is not there Allah is not here Allah is not this Allah is not that everything is a negative statement so they make a negation of all of these characteristics all of these attributes and therefore as Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned you are describing Allah as nothingness even though this group of people of innovation the whole purpose of them giving that description was in order to flee from describing Allah with anything that resembles creation Ahlul Ta'atil the people who reject all of the names and attributes they say no Allah is neither this nor that neither this nor that everything neither this nor that they reject it all why did they reject everything they started off with something that was a legitimate basis what was the legitimate basis they began with that you cannot compare Allah to creation Tanzihullah that you have to make Allah free of any comparison or resemblance to creation true or false true but then they exaggerated in that so far they began to say well the only way we can guarantee we are not comparing Allah to creation in any way is to just say no we don't Allah isn't this Allah isn't that Allah isn't this Allah isn't that negate it all by negating all of those descriptions attributes characteristics you'll be definitely sure you haven't compared Allah to anything in creation because you're rejecting all of those descriptions, attributes, characteristics and therefore you've guaranteed not comparing Allah to anything in creation that's what they thought that's the exaggeration they went to but then Shaykh al-Islam said to them the very thing you were fleeing from that is exactly what you have done because now by rejecting everything you have ended up comparing Allah to something you've ended up comparing Allah to what we know as if it can be known as such that you are comparing Allah to nothingness you in terms of your understanding of your Lord is nothingness no names no attributes rejection of everything then who are you making dua to who are you praying to five times a day who are you returning to with your reliance and your dependence and your trust? Who are you returning to in the times of need? Who are you calling upon when your belief is nothingness regarding Allah? Rejecting all the names and attributes of Allah. Slowly the more you look into this, the more you start to realize the aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah is the correct aqeedah without a doubt. This aqeedah of the people of innovation, nothingness, that is your belief regarding Allah, nothingness, nothingness. Yet Allah has given us all these names of Himself, Allah has given us all these attributes of Himself. So, that is the people of innovation. As for Ahlul Sunnah, as for Ahlul Sunnah, فَقَالُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى فَوْقَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Ahlul Sunnah, we say that Allah is above everything. And Allah is above His servants, His creation. The scholars they mention there are a variety of evidences, different types of evidences that indicate to you that Allah is above and all of the core evidences the core and the defaults of them testify to that from the Quran the Sunnah the consensus of the Salaf the intellect and the natural disposition every angle you look at the affair it testifies that Allah is above. Quran testifies Allah being above. In the Sunnah testifies various narrations Allah being above. Consensus of the Salaf, absolutely. There you've seen examples of Zainab radiallahu anha. Also the intellect, absolutely. And in fact, 
somebody sent an article the other day, I don't know who, an article where some kafir academic has done some research, some academic from Oxford or Cambridge or somewhere, and his research, kafir, his research, his conclusion on it was that it is in the natural disposition of a human to believe in a creator. He said in his conclusion of his research that if you were to, a baby that is born now, brand new baby born, uh, or a bunch of babies, you were to go and dump them on a desert island. They grow up completely isolated from everything. They grow up on that island by themselves. He said, and no external factors at all. No external factors at all. He said they would grow up believing that there is a creator because they would distinguish from what they see around them, the palm trees, the way they grow, the coconuts, the way they develop and come and then milk and water, the sea, the fish, everything they see around themselves and how everything is in order and creation. The animals and the chain of the animals they see in the forest, the big one eats the next one, the next one eats the next one, the next one eats the next one. The food chain, how it all, everything. He said his academic, a kafir, academic research proves to him that the natural dis, the, the disposition of a person is to recognize his Lord even without any external factors, meaning without any teaching, without anybody ever teaching them that there is a Lord and there is a Creator by themselves on a desert island, no external input of teaching of anything, they would grow up recognizing that there is a creator of all of this. So that is the intellect also and the natural disposition of a person also to recognize that Allah is above. The Shaykh then goes into giving some evidences for this. Because of course we know nowadays as well, there are many from the people who have become misguided who believe the aqidah that Allah is everywhere. So now in the Quran, and the Sunnah, and all of these points the Shaykh made, evidences from the Quran that Allah is above, and not everywhere in His essence. Everywhere with His knowledge is hearing and seeing? Absolutely. But Allah Himself in His essence everywhere? No. Himself in His essence, Allah is above. So in the Quran, where do we have that evidence? For example, evidences that you recognize subbihisma rabbikal a'la make the tasbih of the name of your lord the most high subbihisma rabbikal a'la make the tasbih of your lord the most high evidence in the quran that allah is above in surah al-an'am Ayah number 18 وَهُوَ الْقَاهِرُ فَوْقَ عِبَادِهِ That he is the Al-Qahir the, the overwhelming, the one mighty and powerful over us فَوْقَ عِبَادِهِ Above his servants Clear ayah in the Quran فَوْقَ عِبَادِهِ Above his servants So those are a couple of examples amongst many from the Quran indicating Allah is above. From the Sunnah, we have various angles to prove it also. The Sunnah, you can talk about it in terms of three angles. So now we've shown a couple of examples from the Quran proving Allah is above. Now from the Sunnah, there are three methods. From the Sunnah, three arrows showing how Allah is above first one bilqawl statements of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam actual statements of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam proving that Allah is above one of those linking back to what we just said when uh, or, or the fact that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam taught us in the prayer in the sujood that you say Subhana Rabbi Al 
A'la. That glorified be, Allah be free of all deficiencies, my Lord, Rabbi Al-A'la, the Most High. That is a statement of the Prophet ﷺ taught to us. Say that your Lord is the Most High. That is one statement in the Sunnah proving Allah is the Most High. Also, action, physical actions from the Prophet ﷺ indicating this aqidah that Allah is above. One of those examples is in the Hajj. When the Prophet ﷺ did Hajj, how many times did he do Hajj? Just the once. How many times did he do Umrah? Are you asking or are you telling? If you're asking, we didn't ask uh, anybody to ask. Asking for the answer. How many times was Umrah done by the Prophet So that's your homework. How many times did the Prophet do Umrah? Here then, uh, an action of the Prophet in the Hajj in the Hajj, the one Hajj, Hajjatul Wida', the farewell Hajj, he was giving a khutbah. There were a few khutbahs, a few sermons, a few khutbah that the Prophet gave during the course of that farewell Hajj at different times and locations. In one of those sermons, the Prophet said to them, Allah hal that have I indeed uh, disseminated, have I indeed given that revelation and taught it and passed it on? قَالُوا نَعَمْ They said yes. فَيَرْفَعُ أُصْبِعَهُ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ وَيَقُولَ اللَّهُمَّ اشْهَدْ اللَّهُمَّ اشْهَدْ And it's mentioned that when they said yes, the Prophet ﷺ raised his finger to the heavens and he said oh Allah testify or witness to that Allahumma shahad Allahumma shahad so now this is a physical action of the Prophet ﷺ indicating Allah is above and the most high and there are many other examples too when the Prophet ﷺ used to pray the rain prayer Making dua in the rain prayer, he would raise his hands to the skies, raise his hands above and upwards in making dua. Also, therefore, indicating from his action that Allah is above. The third method from the Sunnah is the the confirmation or the affirmation. Of, or the acknowledgement of the Prophet ﷺ to the fact that Allah is above. Meaning what? An example is the example of the slave girl when he asked her, Where is Allah? She said, Fissana, above the heavens. And in one narration it even mentions, she similarly pointed upwards. The Prophet ﷺ asked her. She said he is above and pointed above. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, Free her, indeed she's a believer. Therefore the Prophet ﷺ was acknowledging and affirming her answer to be correct, that Allah is above. He was affirming and acknowledging that what she had just said was the correct answer. Correct belief, correct aqidah. Acknowledgement from the Prophet ﷺ that this is correct. So from his own statement to us, from his own action, from his acknowledgement, all three methods indicating that Allah is above. So that is the Quran and that is the Sunnah so far, proving that Allah is above, not everywhere. Then the third method was the consensus. Ijma'us Salaf. Consensus of the Salaf. Faqad qala 
شيخ الإسلام رحمه الله بأنه طالع ما أمكنه من كتب السلف فلم يجد عن واحد منهم أنه قال إن الله ليس في السماء أو أنكر الفوقية أو العلو شيخ الإسلام ابن تيمية mentioned that he analyzed the books of the salaf analyzed one by one multiple books books upon books statements upon statements of the salaf and we know Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah how much analysis and research and awareness he had of the books and the statements of the salaf he says in all of that research in all of that analysis he never ever came across a single one from the salaf make a single statement saying that Allah is not above meaning he never came across any statement in contradiction to the established aqidah that Allah is above no one ever said anything contrary to Allah being above no one ever said Allah is everywhere Allah is below Allah is here Allah is in the earth Allah is in unison with the creation nobody ever made any such statement like that never in his analysis did he come across a single one from the salaf anybody wants to say but he may not have known he may have missed things no problem then you bring us the statement from the salaf then you do your analysis and you bring us the statements from the salaf when they said Allah is everywhere statements from the salaf when they said Allah is not above the heavens you bring us that then and you will never so we have a consensus of the salaf that Allah is above also point number four in terms of your intellect in terms of your intellect you recognize Allah is above and that Allah is not in unison with creation mixed in with creation Allah is above فَإِنَّا نَقُولُ هَلِ الْعُلُو صِفَةُ كَمَالِ أَوِ السُّفَلِ هُوَ صِفَةُ الْكَمَالِ In terms of the intellect then, very simply you say that is being high and above an attribute of perfection or the only alternative is being low an attribute of perfection what is understood from practically every culture throughout history of mankind that the one above is the one superior throughout history practically with barely any examples to the contrary the king the leader the superior the chief he is the one above his subjects that is understood by mankind in their intellects the one who is superior is the one raised above them. So the attribute of being high is an attribute understood throughout the ages and the cultures of people as being an attribute of perfection. Whereas being low down is not any example you look in history. Look at the example of ships. Something random just came to my mind as an example. The Titanic, everybody knows that. First class was where? And the paupers were where? First class were at the top. They got to go out on the decks and see the fresh air. The paupers, they were stuck down in the basement of the ship. Why? Because it is understood in the intellect of mankind. The ones of superiority are the ones above they are the ones higher up any example random things come to your mind hotels what they call the the uh, the penthouse and they call it the king suite uh, and the, the prince suite and all these types of things where are they always in the hotel right on the top floor with the best views that's where they are anything you think of superiority is always intellectually associated with highness not being down in the ground below others so intellectually just intellectually we understand our creator is not with us and below Allah is above 
intellectually that is understood. And then fifthly, al-fitrah, the natural inclination in your heart, the natural default, the natural inclination, disposition that is in your heart. And this is the example of when the Sheikh says a person naturally in his heart without thinking he recognizes his Lord, his Creator is above. And that's like we said, all these people who say their Aqeedah is Allah is everywhere. All these people out there who say the Aqeedah is Allah is everywhere. You Salaf is everybody wrong. Every time they make dua naturally without even thinking, their hands will be facing upwards. Without even thinking, their hands will go upwards for dua. Will their hands ever go downwards? Never. It's a natural thing. They recognize their Lord is above. Everybody recognizes that in their heart. It's the instinct that you recognize your Creator is above. So even in that natural feel, natural disposition, then a person recognizes that. What is the difference between that and intellect then? Intellect is where by means of analyzing something, you recognize a conclusion. The natural instinct, the, the natural disposition is without thought, without anything, that is the natural default. So the natural default in people is to recognize Allah is above. The intellectual thing is through analysis and through the, the thought processes of people, it has become something recognized to them and established with them that intellectually everybody understands the one above and high up is the superior one. The one with the highest seat, the highest hotel room, the one at the front of the plane, they are the superior ones. That is something everybody intellectually has now come to understand and recognize and that's what is done. Whereas the natural disposition is without thought, a person naturally, you say to make dua, then they raise their hands instantly to a direction of above. Regardless if they are the worst of the people in the deviation of trying to argue against you, Allah is everywhere, you say to them, okay, let's make dua, then naturally they'll put their hands facing upwards. They won't face them anywhere else. It's like that example I gave you once, there was a Hizb tahriri This particular individual, he believed that Iman does not increase and decrease. Uh, a belief of the people of innovation, that your Iman doesn't increase and decrease. So this individual was debating, arguing once, this was here in Manchester a long time ago, 20 years ago, you know, university days. He was debating, arguing, and he said, uh, the, uh, the old ones who are older will remember, I don't know if they still do it, the Khilafa magazine. You remember they used to do this Khilafa magazine, one pound. <laughs> this uh, Takfiri magazine, probably the Takfir of every ruler in there profile on why they, take, why they are not Muslim or whatever they had in there. He was trying to argue and debate a new Salafi is this, a new Salafi is that. And, and he had this magazine with him at the end of this long discussion with him. He said, look, just take this magazine, read this magazine carefully, it will benefit you. I said, I don't want this magazine of yours, deviation, everything in there. So no, no, just take the magazine. It's got beneficial things in there, beneficial articles, everything. Take it, read it, your iman will increase. So naturally, he was just talking, talking. Take it, read it, your iman will increase. So then we said, hang on a minute, brother. After one hour, two hour of all this debate and everything, naturally now, intellectually, everything, it's come out from your mind. It's come out subconsciously without you thinking your iman will increase the more you read ayat and the more you read a hadith. Not that their magazine probably had much of that, but anyway, the point being the more you remember Allah and a hadith and ayat, your iman increases. And it slipped from his tongue. Take the read it, your iman will increase. But I said, Brother, iman doesn't increase. How's my iman gonna increase reading the magazine? I'm gonna waste my one pound. So this is the natural disposition also. But a person naturally recognizes that. وَيُقَالْ 
So that is uh, regarding this issue of Allah being the Most High. Therefore you have five methods or angles or types of evidences that Allah is above. Evidences from the Quran, evidences from the Sunnah, evidence in terms of the consensus of the Salaf, evidence in terms of intellect, intellectually, and evidence in terms of the natural disposition, the fitrah. Next narration. قال حدثنا أبو اليمان قال أخبرنا شعيب قال حدثنا أبو الزناد عن الأعرج عن أبي هريرة عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إن الله لما قضى الخلق كتب عنده فوق عرشه إن رحمتي سبقت غضبي That when Allah سبحانه وتعالى decreed all of this creation he wrote with him above the throne that indeed my mercy precedes my anger. هذه الكتابة فرضها الله عز وجل على نفسه كما قال تعالى كتب ربكم على نفسه الرحمة that Allah wrote upon himself mercy that Allah wrote upon himself mercy and the point though in this narration the shahid as we said is the fact that Allah wrote that and this decree etc occurred with him the narration says that was that occurred above the throne so another hadith in al-Bukhari proving this issue of above the throne look at how many examples there are the people of innovation now who believe no Allah is not above they've got to come along now and deviate misinterpret all of these narrations alter them change them all types of things to make all of these narrations somehow work with their aqidah their deviancy whereas ahlu sunnah all these narrations clear cut above the throne clear cut no need for interpretation no need for deviation this narration actually has various attributes mentioned within it it has the attribute of mercy mentioned within it has the attribute of anger mentioned within it وَعَلَمْ أَنَّ الرَّحْمَةَ الْمُضَافَةَ إِلَى اللَّهِ تَنْقَصِمُ إِلَى قِسْمٍ رَحْمَ مَخْلُوقَةَ وَرَحْمَ مِنْ وَهِيَ صِفَتُهُ غَيْرُ مَخْلُوقَةَ that the shaykh says just to be aware as a side point here that the mercy of Allah is two types there is a mercy of Allah that is created and there is a mercy of Allah that is the attribute of Allah not created. القسم الأول الرحمة المخلوقة وسميت بذلك لأنها من آثار الرحمة وهي محل الرحمة ومسكن الرحماء وتلك هي الجنة. The first type which is the created mercy is referring to the place of mercy. And that is paradise. So paradise is of course created. That's what it means by the created mercy of Allah. The place of that mercy, paradise. As for the attribute of Allah, that Allah has mercy, then of course we know the attributes of Allah are not created. The attributes of Allah are from the essence of Allah. They are not created. And that's why What's the proof? We always mention one classic narration the scholars always use as a proof, as a simple, straightforward proof that the attributes of Allah are not created. A hadith. We've mentioned it many times before. Hadith of Khawlat bint Hakim. رضي الله عنها من نزل منزلا فقال أعوذ بكلمات الله تامات من شر ما خلق لم يضره شيء حتى يرحل من منزله ذاك. In Muslim. 
that when a person goes to a place and then makes the dua, أَعُوذُ بِكَلِمَاتِ اللَّهِ التَّمَّتْ That I seek refuge in the perfect words of Allah. That whoever does that, then nothing will harm him until he leaves that place. Seeking refuge in the words of Allah, the words of Allah, the speech of Allah, which is an attribute of Allah. Is it permissible to seek refuge in the attributes of Allah like that? Obviously it is, it's a sunnah, it's a hadith. But then why? What does that prove? That the attributes of Allah are not created. Because if they were created, it is impermissible in shirk for you to be seeking those types of affairs from the creation. Seeking help and aid and assistance from the creation can only be in that which the creation has ability upon. And what other conditions do they mention? That they can hear you and they have the ability and they can answer you and they understand you, etc. So, uh, the attributes of Allah are not created. Here the Shaykh just highlighting briefly, and that's all we'll highlight, that the mercy of Allah is two types. One referring to the created mercy, and that's the actual paradise. In reference to paradise, the place of mercy. As for the actual attribute of Allah, the mercy of Allah, then that is not created. Also in this narration you have the mentioning of the anger of Allah. The anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is an attribute of Allah also. And that uh, is also discussed and we have mentioned it before. But that is not the topic in this section right now. We'll leave it on that narration. The next one is going to take a bit longer. There's a few more narrations to come just to give you a selection of further evidences regarding the throne of Allah and Allah being above. And then once we finish that, then the new topic will begin. The next chapter in the book will begin of the next point of Aqeedah, which goes on to issues of seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Seeing Allah in the hereafter, which we've discussed briefly before as well. But now more of the details and the evidences are going to be shown. Because as we said before when we came across it briefly, the people of innovation have two main points. Some people of innovation, they say regarding seeing Allah that we can never ever see Allah. Neither in this world nor in the hereafter. Other people of innovation on the other extreme, they say, actually, we can see Allah in the hereafter and now we can see Allah in this world. Ahlul Sunnah, of course, we say, we cannot see Allah in this world, but we will be able to see Allah in the hereafter. So that will be the next chapter, but next week we'll round off this chapter, the narrations that are left regarding Allah being the Most High. And then maybe next week at the end of the lesson we'll be able to move on to the section regarding seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the evidences, the narrations, the ayat, the hadith uh, in that particular topic and chapter. So any questions on that then or anything else? The overall name for this type of group, generic title, is the Mu'attila. Then you have subsections, various groups that fit into that. But they are the Mu'attila. Because if you look at the people of innovation in terms of names and attributes, there are two main generic titles. Then you have all types of different groups that fit in between that, uh, within that. One is the generic title of the Mu'attila. The ones who reject the names and attributes of Allah. The other generic category is the Mushabbiha. Those who don't reject, they affirm. But they affirm the names and attributes to such an exaggerated method that they begin comparing Allah to creation. Deviation. So two ends of the extreme in the deviation, the Mu'attila, the Mushabbiha. Beneath that then you have a whole selection of groups that fit in either way. Jahmiya Mu'tazila, all types, here, 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 here.
seed in Zanga. Which mercy is it? Is it the mercy of paradise or is it the attribute of Allah? The mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preceding, then that's referring to the attribute that, the, uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His mercy comes ahead of His anger. The mercy, when you look at the topic of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then there's uh, various other things that the scholars mention that there are different types of that attribute of the mercy of Allah. Not the attribute, but the the impacts and the effects of that mercy are different types. So there is a type of mercy of Allah which is purely for the believers. Then there is a type of mercy of Allah which is even for the disbelievers. Is it not from the mercy of Allah they can breathe air and they can eat and drink and live? That is mercy. They have air and food and water and clothing and homes. That is a type of mercy of Allah. But then there is a more specific mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the believers. The mercy upon the believers of guiding them, giving them the truth, enlightening them, the path to paradise, entering into paradise. That is a more specific type of the mercy of Allah. And that is one of the explanations, even though not the predominant explanation, regarding the difference between Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. Some of the scholars give that explanation. Even though it's not the one which is the overall most accepted explanation but those different types of mercies are mentioned and we discussed those a long time ago in al-aqid al-wasatiyah anything else we'll conclude on that point otherwise so we leave it there next week inshallah ta'ala again as close as possible to 8 p.m we'll begin and we'll carry on and finish this chapter move on to the chapter regarding seeing allah InshaAllah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.